This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 587 of Horse Tip Daily. A different horse tip, a different equine topic, a different equestrian expert every day. Horse Tip Daily brings the world of equine knowledge to you one day at a time. Today's tip is brought to you by Eco Gold, high performance saddle pads and protective boots for your equine athlete. Greetings, everyone. Coach Jen here, and thanks for tuning in to Horse Tip Daily. Today's tip is from the Horse.com's weekly horse health report on horses in the morning. Episode number 318. Today, the fabulous foursome sorts through truth and fiction about hawk injections. But first, a word from today's sponsor, EcoGold. EcoGold uses the latest developments in textile technology plus smart design to make the most advanced products on the market. For example, EcoGold's dressage, hunter, show jumping, and cross-country saddle pads are non-slip, 100% breathable, and hypoallergenic. They quickly evaporate moisture, reduce friction and pressure points, and absorb shock, yet still allow close contact. And why, you may ask? Because EcoGold doesn't have a one-type-fits-all mentality. Their textile engineering team looks at different issues affecting sport horses' comfort and performance, and comes up with the best materials and design for each saddle pad. Improve your horse's comfort with EcoGold saddle pads. Ask for EcoGold saddle pads and protective boots by name at your local tax supplier or visit them online at ecogold.ca. Now, enjoy today's tip. Well, we have got Dr. Jones on the line right now with FloridaEquine.com, and we're going to talk a little bit about hawk injections today. Good morning, Dr. Jones. Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? We're doing fantastic. It's uh, you know that time of day, but we're we're pushing through. We never got to talk about snow polos, so that's why you're on a little bit early, whether you like it or not. Um, <laughs> I don't mind a bit. But, uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to ruin Glenn's lunch today, but we'll, we'll certainly try, like we always try to. I know. Well, we have, we'll put something in there, I'm sure. But I know that who did not want to be on early is our guest from California. We've got Dr. Richard Martell from San Diego, California. And uh, I do believe that you would like to introduce him and maybe uh, tell a little story about him from this morning. <laughs> well, um, Rich, I've known Richard for, boy, probably over 20 years, Richard, and um, he does sport horse work out in California. He also, you know, has regular clientele who snatches all sport horses, so he sees pretty much the same thing we do here in Florida, the geriatrics, we have some rescue clients, he has some rescue clients, rehab places, but um, he does a lot of, a lot more international work than I do, and um I guess this morning, he wanted to know what he should wear for the radio show. So, what are you wearing this morning, Richard? <laughs> I'm a bright blue shirt and, uh, and, a, and a really wild belt, and so, uh, and I'm barefoot. No, I'm not barefoot. <laughs> Actually, driving to work in the car, so. <laughs> you look great. You look great, doctor. Let me just tell Thank you Thank you. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm, I'm really hoping you're not disappointing your clients today by wearing some mundane boots. I hope they get some bright color to those boots. It, it is the bright colors. And I, I was also really excited, Eric, because you told me that the radio makes me look kept out center. So I, I'm really excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> 
Well, let's see. We've got you guys on, Dr. Martell. It sounds like you've got a lot of kind of upper-level clients, and, and this is probably something that is a daily ritual for you to perform, and probably you talk, Dr. Jones, too, is Hawk injections, because I know that when when you mention the word Hawk injections, you're either going to get people to go, oh, yeah, I say no big deal, or you're going to get people that go, oh, I would never stick a needle in my horse's joint. But what they don't, uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff that they don't understand. And, it, and that is why you guys are here to describe the whole point of Hawk injections. And let me just tell you that my horse got his Hawk done about a month ago and it's changed his life. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan, so you're not going to offend me. Dr. Jones, take it away. <laughs> well, thank you, Jamie. Um, and I'm glad to hear that your horse did well after the Hawk injections. We always like to hear good results after we do any kind of injections on a horse, including the Hawks as well. But the Hawk injections are, you know, like you said, some people say, sure, no problem, run-of-the-mill thing to do, and some just are completely frightened about it. And those that are frightened, I think, just don't understand what we're trying to do. They think that when they get a hot injection, that makes the horse <laughs> more receptive to needing more hot injections. And, and basically what they don't understand is that the horse has got an osteoarthritis going on. And what we're doing is we're taking the pain away. And then the pain comes back, and we have to re-inject, just like you would in your shoulder joints for some steroid joint, um, steroid injection for shoulder joints or your knee, your bad knee, your bad tennis elbow, whatever it is, you're getting some sort of steroid help. But you're not overusing it like a horse is because a horse is an athlete that's being used every day or five days a week to perform what it's supposed to be doing. You want to add to that, Richard? Well, I, I'd like to take just a half a step back and then, and then kind of go back to this. I think one of the... The thing that we have to remember is, you know, I think there's become this unreasonable fear of corticosteroids. And, you know, it's quite, quite interesting. I, I think there is some validity for sure with the concern over using too many steroids because the old, the old, you know, inject a joint and go to a race tomorrow, well, that's a bad thing no matter how you slice it. And that's when corticosteroids are not used effectively and, and properly. But, you know, we are using in, in the dosage when we do inject the joint, it's a fraction of the milligrams of cortisone that we used years ago, and we're doing it much more conservatively and much more frequently. So, you know, cortisone is a natural product. Your body produces it as an anti-inflammatory. And sometimes what happens is when these joints get on fire, regardless of what joint it is, you need a corticosteroid to put the fire out. And interestingly enough, I'll just, I'm going to paraphrase it, a study that was done quite a few years ago at Colorado State University. And what it did is it, it showed that they created an inflammation in joints and some of the horses they didn't do any treatment to and some of the horses they put in a very, very small dose of a specific corticosteroid. And then they looked at the joints later on and, and to make a, a, a very complicated research project simple, the horses that had a single low dose of corticosteroids had far less degenerative damage to their joints than the horses where Mother Nature was allowed to just react to the inflammation. So actually, in a way, corticosteroids, when used properly, appropriately, and conservatively, are much better for the joints than not treating them at all. So uh, I, I think that's, that's Aaron, maybe to start with the corticosteroid discussion. So I think that was a fantastic way to start off. Yeah, no, I do too, and I'm thinking that, like, okay, so you've got the inflammatory cells in the joint capsule, and they're actually they're actually doing more damage than putting in the, the steroid, and so the steroid goes in there and pushes out those bad inflammatory cells and creates a, a happier, healthier environment. Is that what I'm what I'm trying to understand? Absolutely. 
Yep. And then, and <laughs> then the body can heal itself, and all the right things can happen in the joint. But you have to put the fire out first. Right. 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 And that's and what I explain to the clients is do they want to continue to have that uh, deterioration in the joint going on without any help? And the steroids are the help that we're trying to provide. Right. So and so. It's, it's, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, please, please uh, go ahead and comment on that, please. We're, we're at the, we're at the, uh, the East Coast, West Coast delay, so I'm hearing you a second, I think, later, I'm sorry. But, you know, there, there's kind of an old saying that, you know, there's two types of dressage and show jumping courts, those that have their hockey and those that are gonna need to have their hockey And, you know, we kind of, we, we joke about it a little bit, but it seems so common because the, the jumping and dressage, specifically, are, not really a natural uh, biomechanical stress of that joint. So it's very common to get some inflammation in those lower joints in the hot. I think you certainly throw in the reining horses and the cutting horses, too. Granted, the horses were made for that quick movement, but it's a little bit of an overuse of the joint when they show them every weekend doing that. Right, I agree. So really, I guess we kind of covered the, the myth part of the hot injection. Is there anything else, well, Amy, that you want to add to this? Yeah, as a horse owner, I was. I, well, as a horse owner, and I was a vet tech for ten years, uh, and you, you hear the people say, "Oh, my horse." In my experience, they said, "My horse is going to, you know, need hawk injections. They're going to start to rely on it, and then have to do it all the time." And what they don't understand is the reason that you think your horse needs it all the time is because your horse feels so much better after getting the hawk injections, and then you want to recreate that. So, yeah, you might want more hawk injections, but only because your horse takes less time to warm up. He feels a lot better. He jumps better. He travels better. So the horse is not the one actually relying on it. I think a lot of times it's the rider that, that wants that feeling again. Well, at the, at the you know, at the performance level, too, and, and we can talk, you know, later if you guys want about, you know, what are some of the, signs that you're going to see or things that you're going to feel, but, um, you know, those those joints, those hot joints, it's, it's really kind of a funny joint. It's, it's a vestigial joint. I mean, you know, it, it dates back from four million years ago when horses had little split toes and they were 18 inches tall, and so as those two lower joints that the horses have in the hawk, there's actually four joints in the hawk, and really it's the top one that is responsible for the majority of motion in the hot joint. So that's really kind of the only one they need. And so those lower hot joints, the two lower hot joints, really they call them a high-load, low-motion joint. So they take a lot of weight, but they don't move a lot. They just rocker back and forth. And, and you know, probably if we're around in 4 million years, um, well, those joints probably won't be there anymore, that they will have evolved into a fused joint. Uh, it, it's arguable, kind of some of the, the anthropology people will suggest that uh, that this early juvenile osteoarthritis that we're seeing in some of these horses where you'll take an x-ray and it's a, you know, a three-year-old horse, a four-year-old horse, and the, the lower hock joints are just a block of bone, and the horses are sound. They don't have any problem at all, but they're, it's a juvenile arthritis. It's what we call it, but maybe it's actually an evolutionary step because once those things, and you see it in, in very sound horses, and it's not a problem, but once those joints are fused, either through degeneration in a middle-aged horse or through or an older horse or as a developmental, um, quote-unquote, abnormality in a young horse, they don't need those joints, and they're sound. So potentially those joints, they don't even need those. It's the upper one that's so important for motion and sound. Right. 
And I explained, Dr. Moran said it's like a, that it's a nagging mosquito is really what that lower joints act like. It's just enough of a, a pain to kind of be there every day when they're working to nag at them to say, this hurts, this hurts, this hurts, but it's not such a acute, uh, sharp, sharp pain. It's just a, a nagging mosquito-type pain where it's just constantly there, and we're just trying to take that little bit of pain away. And I think yeah. you brought up another point, Dr. Martel, that uh, the clients kind of think some of the more educated ones on joint injections think that over time we're going to fuse that joint with the steroid injections because you've mentioned the block. And there are horses that do fuse those two lower joints over time, but not every single horse does. I find it on a very rare occasion in my clientele that they actually fuse. And once they fuse, the pain goes away because there's not that constant motion of uh, bone against bone. It's actually completely gone now, and it doesn't move that much, and it can handle that high load. But I, I rarely find that in my practice. It happens to be just occasional find, but not, not very often at all. So I, I, I recently I went, I, I, yeah, well, I'm curious about that because I recently had, before we got the hocks injected, we did some x-rays and realized that the, the hot joints are, are very close to fusing. But you're telling me that if for some reason they did fuse, I w- would have a sound horse, and that begs the question, how can I get them fused? I want to do that. <laughs> well, there, there's a couple of ways to fuse them. One is, you know, what you have to remember is that radiographic degenerative changes don't necessarily correlate with clinical signs. So you can have horrible, horrible hot x-rays, and you can have, you know, I, I've seen some, some really elite-level cutting horses that have hawk spurs the size of a Volkswagen hanging off the bottom of their hawk, and it should have its own name, and they're totally sound, and they don't have a problem, and other horses that may just have inflammation without actually even any radiograph changes that are that are very lame. So the radiographs, unfortunately, are not the um, are, are not necessarily directly correlated to the degree of clinical signs. But what will happen very oftentimes is as the hawks degenerate, um, which is normal in normal arthritis for people, for horses, for cows, for giraffes. I mean, joints fall apart with time because. You know, we're not supposed to live to be 120 years old, and horses aren't supposed to be live till they're 30, but a lot of them do. So as time goes on and, and the joints wear out, and the joint surface wears out, then you you will get starting some bone production as the cartilage erodes. And as that bone is being produced, it's really Mother Nature doing a great job trying to say, well, let's try to bridge this joint. And most of the time, or, or a high percentage of the time, I agree with Dr. Jones, is it, it doesn't do that. But um, most of them are managed very, very successfully in, in a, you know, in a clinical situation where they're not lame, they're not having chronic problems. But occasionally, um, towards mid and late fusion, if, if they are, where they're not fusing on their own, there's a couple of ways to fuse them. And you can fuse them surgically, where you actually, it, it's a big deal, but you go in and you take a drill and you drill out the joint surface cartilage, and then you will um, uh, uh, immobilize the joint, and then the joint will fuse. The other way to do it is to chemically fuse it. And there's been, over the last uh, 15 years, there's been a couple of different ways to fuse them, what what you put in there to make them fuse. But the latest is, is alcohol. And interestingly enough, alcohol, um, it's denatured alcohol. You don't put in Jack Daniels for those listeners in, in Kentucky. Um, 
And, and what you do is, is the alcohol actually denatured alcohol, and it will actually create some nerve damage. So it it not only accelerates the degeneration of the joint, but it it tells the nerve don't be so irritated, and so you have uh, no pain in the joint. In my experience, in those two, and those are two fantastic ways of doing it. The surgery one is very painful. I've seen post-op, and the surgeons do agree that they do. They can be pretty painful. The um, denatured alcohol, I've done it on a few horses, and I've had some be painful, but not near as painful as the surgery. But those those horses were in some extreme arthritic conditions that even corticosteroids couldn't calm down the joint enough. So it's kind of, I wouldn't say it's a last-ditch effort, but it's a more humane effort because the steroids aren't making them comfortable. Nothing's making them comfortable, so let's go ahead and choose the joints. For sure. And we'll see, you know, hundreds, literally hundreds and hundreds of hospitalizations a year, and uh, maybe uh, one every couple of years we'll want to choose or do alcohol on. So it, it's a pretty, it, you know, it's a pretty unusual procedure. I agree. So kind of back to your question, Jamie, how do you know? Um, that your horse requires its joints to be injected. And, you know, I think Dr. Markell, you know, hit on it a little bit, but also you said it, Jamie, you got almost a brand-new horse after the hocks were injected. So you knew the horse was limping in the back when you were riding or wasn't giving enough um, push from behind the dressage horses. They don't have, you know, enough well, propelling forward or forward movement. What he was doing, actually, Dr. Jones, is he was off behind more worse in the right hind than he was in the left hind, and he was having some back pain, and he, it, like, he didn't want to have his back brushed, he didn't want to be curried back there, so he was having the back pain that corresponded, like, went into the hocks, and he just took for dang ever to warm up, but he eventually, after 20 or so minutes of movement around, he got sounder. Mm-hmm. To me, that's textbook hawk uh, <laughs> problems, but explain to people why maybe his back would have hurt. That, that sounds like me in the morning every day. Yeah. Well, I'll let you take that one, but, uh, you know, basically starting with the lameness exam, just like what you described is where we would start to determine that the hawks were the problem. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that, you know, uh, I, I tell, I'm going to say first for two seconds to tell you kind of a funny story, kind of because nobody got hurt, but I have, uh, I'm very involved with the therapeutic riding for, for the disabled program, and we had this uh, retired Olympic level three-day event horse, and he was one of the most wonderful horses this program ever had, and, you know, he, he wasn't the soundest thing in the world, but he was doing his job, and finally it got to the point where it's like, you know, we, we've really got to fix him. So we did a lameness exam on him. We decided it was his hock that needed to be injected. We injected his hock, and, uh, and, he, and he threw two riders. And he was like, you know, five years old again. So we had to wait for the injections to wear off until he got to be usable again, and then we, we kind of managed it a little differently. But so you'll, you'll start to see horses that won't be as good at their lead changes. Um, you'll start to see horses that, you know, will change the distance to a fence if they're a jumping horse or unwillingness to go downhills or uphills if they're a, a trail horse, that sort of thing. So that does it. And what happens is, you know, I, I look at a horse like a like a wobbly cheap card table, and when one leg is uneven, the whole table wobbles. And so what happens is horses will start to put stress on their lower backs. And, you know, I, I'm sure those of you that, get dressed up and wear high heels know that, you know, it's not uncommon at the end of the night of wearing high heels 
your lower back may be not as comfortable as when you were in tennis shoes or or, uh, or paddock boots. And so, is that personal experience, Richard, there? Yeah, that's not good, actually. <laughs> I, I, okay, I, I don't see those stilettos anymore. Because <laughs> of my back. So you'll, you'll start to see that, and, and those are kind of secondary sensory things. So I would invest that 80% of all back problems are secondary to a hindman lateness. I, I don't believe that's true. In fact, I, I know that's not true, but I went to that school back when they invented penicillin. So that was a long time ago, and now we know that there's lots of primary back problems. But, but that's one of the things that you'll often see with horses with, with back problems. And the acupuncturist certainly can uh, – tell us oftentimes that there are some uh, points on the lower back that are very, very commonly seen when you have uh, a positive and abnormal uh, acupuncture point uh, with horses that have hot pain. And as I get into the, my world, I have a, a knee that had to be uh, reconstructed, and with humans, they find they get lower back pains with knee problems because they're compensating. Again, that's the whole thing that Richard's heading to is that there's compensation going on. So if the hocks aren't working, the horses are going to use some other leg or some other part of their body to compensate to do what you're asking them to do. So rather than completely whack out the whole body and take out all the legs of the card table, let's fix that one leg of the card table so that the horse can continue on in a natural balance and a natural movement. That's a great point, Erin. And then after you do fix that, that one leg on the table, then make sure there's nothing else that's affected. Absolutely. And I think, uh, Jamie, you brought up a good point, is the latest exam was done on your horse. They localized it to the hawks. They did x-rays, which is really nice. And, again, Richard had made the comment earlier that not always will you have really bad hawk disease and a lame horse at the same time. We do, and I'm sure Richard does tons more than I do, but in the pre-purchases, like the one I just did yesterday, the horse had a little bit of a, a short stride after doing flexions of his hawk and stifle, we took x-rays, and it was minimal, minimal changes in the hawk, kind of what you'd expect on an 11-year-old jumping horse. And, you know, the person was happy. They expected to see those uh, small changes, arthritic changes, and they were happy to see there was very little change on the flexion, uh, a shortened stride. That was kind of accepted. So th there's this um, understanding of relate your x-rays to your clinical exam, just like uh, Dr. Markell had said earlier. Well, Dr. Jones, isn't it also, oh, sorry, I was going to say, isn't it really helpful oh. when you have those radiographs to compare, you know, in six months or a year or three years if you do have progressive changes with their great medical history? Absolutely. I told these people it would be a great base. So, yeah, they were very apt to do these x-rays for our baseline. Well, and, and to comment on that, that's exactly why I did the x-rays. It's because I wanted to see, you know, I, you don't have to go out when you're doing the lameness exam, and uh, you guys are vets, and, and, and maybe you agree, maybe you disagree, but it doesn't always, for hawk pain, you guys see so much of it that every single time you go out, you see a horse that looks like it has hawk pain. You're not always going to do blocks, and you're not always going to do x-rays, and you're not always going to do these full-on things when, you know, you might be able to save money here and there if I just go ahead and doing the hawk injections. The reason I did them is I wanted to see how bad it was because my horse has only been an event horse for a year. And so I wanted to get a foundation of what we were looking at uh, to be able to compare it to things in the future. So uh, that's why I went ahead and did the x-rays, and I'm so glad I have them because that explains why he could barely get the needles in there. <laughs> sure, sure. 
And and that's you know that's really uh, you know as far as getting the needle with it too uh, you know I have to tell you there there are um, two joints that are commonly injected with the hot joints. Did you guys want to go into those or? Sure, go ahead. You started. Yeah, that'd be oh. great. Oh, okay. So so there's really um, the, the hot joint is really complex. It's it's really weird. It's like our heel, and there's all these really odd misshapen bones that, uh, I don't know, I, I wouldn't have designed it that way, but they, they're they all connected together and they seem to work pretty well, but a couple of the joints will communicate sometimes, and that means that when you inject one joint, you're getting medication in the other joint. Um, sometimes when they don't communicate, uh, they'll have diffusion of, of medication so that because they're so intimately involved next to each other just through a thin membrane, the joint capsule, that if you put some medication in one joint, it'll just diffuse into the next one. And so you can kind of get some success and you treated the wrong joint, but you're still doing that. And that's something later, uh, Dr. Jones, that you remind me about, uh, you know, treating the systemic effect of corticosteroids sometimes can be helpful. But so we usually inject the two lower joints. The, the lower joint is is done on the outside just above the split bone, and it's, it's a really easy one to hit. Um, it, it's a nice joint. It's got a pretty big space, and even when horses have degenerative changes in the hock, that's a pretty easy one to hit, and that's the outside joint. The inside joint, which is in the middle, is called the distal intertarsal, the DIT joint, and that, that one, boy, that, that can be a real bear to get into, and I do a bazillion of them, and I still have trouble getting into them sometimes, and so if a veterinarian tells you that, oh, yeah, it's no problem getting into them, you know, pick another vet, because they're, they're tough, and I do a lot of them. And it's a little tiny, tiny joint, and sometimes it's only as wide as the needle. And then you throw in a little bit of pathology, and you throw in a little bit of joint junk that's got some lipping or spurs, and, and it's like trying to, you know, stick a, a, a needle into a, around a corner. And so some of those can be very, very difficult. And um, sometimes you even need an x-ray to guide yourself into those in really complicated cases, or if we're sure that's where it is and, and we didn't get successful treating them, we will sometimes re-inject those with a needle-guided uh, um, uh, radiograph or ultrasound, actually, you can use an ultrasound as well, to make sure that you're in that joint because they can be kind of tough. And they're a very small volume. You can't get a lot of medication in there. So those things are kind of tough. Now, right over that inside joint is called the cunean tendon. And the cunean tendon is a little inelastic band that prevents rota over-rotation of the hock. And so I don't want to get too involved in, in, a, in a radio show because I wish I could have my hands to show you and an and anatomy specimen here to, to show you the bones and how the tendon works. But it, it works with torsion of the, of the, uh, the hock joint. And uh, oftentimes you can have a, a cunean bursitis where you get an inflammation of that. So oftentimes when I inject those inside joints, the, the distal intertarsal joints, I'll save a little tiny bit, and on my way out of the joint, I'll drop just a little bit of medication in that cunean bursa, and that can be helpful as well. And Aaron, you might talk about that surgery where sometimes they will cut the cunean bursa, the cunean tendon, sorry. Yeah, exactly, and it's the old phrase, cut the jacks. So you hear uh, maybe an older pra uh, practitioner say, let's cut the jacks on the horse or, you know, a trainer. And uh, what they'll do is they just kind of release that bursa that's being pressured 
It's almost like standing on a water balloon and putting a lot of pressure on it. It doesn't have anywhere to expand except for out to the sides. So once you cut a, through the Achenean tendon, it gives a little bit of release to that person that's inflamed. And they find that that seems to help out some of the sources that are pretty painful in the back end. We don't do too many of those here on the East Coast as much as I've seen you guys do on the West Coast, um, which I don't know if it's a difference of the use of the horses or what, but um, but it's still certainly a procedure that's done. Well, yeah, we, now, we actually don't. We don't do it very often out here anymore either. It's, it's a little bit historical. Most horses, issues are managed, you know, medically or with shockwaves or um, other other therapies rather than uh, doing that surgery. Right, shockwaves so, is a common thing for us here. Go ahead, Jamie. Because we're starting to get to the point of running out of time, I want to find out what are the medications that you will use in a joint. Uh, there's many of them, um, and I'm going to go ahead and just name off what I commonly do and then just briefly mention the others, but then we'll see what uh, Dr. Merkel also does. But the first line of defense, basically, that I like to go to is a Vetalog, which is steroid, and um, HA, hyaluronic acid type product that goes in with it. And those are, you know, my two first go-tos. And if the horse is non-responsive to those, then you can take it up, you know, step it up a notch and that is either an IRAP PRP type product or a stem cell I've even put into some of the joints type products. Um, you want to go ahead and add to that, Richard? Well, I think that, yeah, that's, that's my first go-to also. That, that along is trying to alone. The really great thing about that one is uh, that's, that's actually the one that Colorado State did all the work on was showing that, that it's somewhat protective of those joint surfaces. The nice thing about it is it's a very, very strong, very powerful corticosteroid, but it doesn't last a long time. And so we believe that it joints that, you know, sometimes that long-lasting corticosteroid is what makes some of the problem with degenerative changes. Um, I have to say, and, and, you know, that sometimes we'll love to use the depot medrol, which is becoming less and less common, but um, in smaller doses, it, it also can be very effective, and it'll, it'll last a little bit longer. But remember, you know, we're, we're hoping not to have our horse stay as sound as only with our corticosteroids working. So that's to say that if you look at Vetalog, that drug that Aaron talks about, that will last about three weeks. So if you've got a horse you inject in three weeks and he's down for three weeks and then he, and then he's lame again, he's got a big problem you need to think about something else. But yeah, those are, those are on my list. And then, um, yeah, IRAP is, is an incredible, uh, drug. It's a really cool regenerative process where you basically take a horse's blood, and then you mix it with some magic beads, and then you, you take a serum off those magic beads through, and then you freeze it, and then you can have multiple joint injections to put back in the horse. And the really cool thing about that is that it's basically kind of like their own anti-inflammatory. And it's, it's very complex how it works, but it blocks inflammatory mediators in the joint. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't had great luck using IRAP in hocks. We use it almost daily in other joints and horses, but for the hock joint, I've had a little less success. How, how about you, Erin? I would agree. I would agree. I would, um, I, the, even the stem cells in the hock uh, joint, I haven't had that great a success on. So, um, but I still like my, um, my steroid mix, and that seems to work fairly nicely. And then, of course, like I said, I've had a couple that have done the um, denatured alcohol because they just kept being non-responsive, and the horse was pretty painful moving around. For sure. And the, and the hyaluronic acid is great because it, it's a lubricant, and it's, you know, basically artificial joint fluid. 
and uh, made from roosters combs. I don't know how some smart researcher in a basement somewhere figured that out, but it's made from yeah. roosters combs and, or, or synthetic, and, and it's a gooey, sticky um, fluid that, that's like Mother Nature's lubricant. I had no idea that it was made from rooster combs. Uh, I yeah. did not know that. <laughs> well, that brings up the... That brings up the other product, which is Adequan, which I have had good luck in the joint, but it's been on a repetitive basis. It's once a week for three weeks, and that's made from, you know, bovine tracheal cells is one of the carriers in there, so then you get another <laughs> additive added in there. But the um, Adequan intraarticular, um, I found luck with, but it has to be used more than once, and trying to get clients to do multiple joint injections on a weekly basis or every two-week basis can sometimes be a little bit hard. Uh, that's well, you guys are on a roll, but our show is ending actually right now. <laughs> but we would love to, Dr. Martell, have you back to talk about maybe some of the other things and to, to finish this up. But, you know, I wanted to talk about as well technique and sterile and sedation and post-injection. So uh, we would love to have both you guys back on maybe next week, maybe uh, a couple weeks from now, just to wrap up this, this whole joint injection discussion because I've got questions now about new stuff I've never even heard of. Well, I would love to, and thank you so much for having me. It's, it's always fun, and it's always uh, – I, I have so much admiration professionally for, for Dr. Jones, so I really appreciate you asking me to participate. Thank you, Richard, and I love uh, sharing this uh, time with you this morning and uh, hearing what you're wearing this morning. I feel like a very dull person in my pink top and khaki pants. So, <laughs> well, and I wear your high yeah, I did post on your high in the morning Facebook uh, an article in thefirst.com that they can go to to read more about joint disease. Excellent, right, you guys. Thank you so much for being on the show. We will talk to you. Let's catch up again. Take care. Well, there you go. The good, the bad, and the not-so-ugly on hawk injections. To listen to more of the hot horse.com's tips, just go to horsetipdaily.com and go to the experts drop-down menu on the left. If you love listening to Glenn the Geek and Jamie putting in their two cents on horse health topics, you can tune in to the Horses in the Morning show weekdays, Wednesdays at 10 o'clock uh, and listen to the up-to-minute horse health information there. Just go to horsesinthemorning.com. You can also go to thehorse.com and find the mother load of horse health information covering pretty much every topic imaginable. And don't forget, support our sponsors here on Horse Tip Daily because they make these podcasts possible. Today's sponsor has been Eco Gold. Ask for Eco Gold high performance saddle pads and protective boots by name at your local tax supplier. You'll be glad you did. Please stop by the Horse Tip Daily Facebook page and let us know what you think of the tips you hear on the show. It's also a great place to tell us about topics you'd like us to cover on the show. You can subscribe to all of the great shows on the Horse Radio Network through iTunes or Zune and get your horse podcasts automatically downloaded to your iPod, Zoom, or MP3 player. I'll be back again tomorrow with another new expert and a different horse tip. Until then, go ride your horse! The Horse Radio Network and the Horse Radio Network hosts are not responsible for statements of guests or their opinions. Use your own judgment when listening to the tips provided by the experts on Horse Tip Daily.